This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Eyes On podcast. Eyes On. Eyes On. Live from the Shorter Children's Reading Festival. Our next guest is a very interesting person. You might have seen his name somewhere in bookstores and libraries because I certainly have growing up. And what is interesting as well is that he also worked on Bob the Builder and many other animated series and shows that you have grown up with as well. It is Curtis Jobling. Welcome to the show. Nice to be here, Aisha. Nice to have you here. Thank so you. tell us about your start because, like I said, Bob the Builder and so many other animated shows that we grew up on. And then you moved on, or do you? Was it a career change, or do you consider something on the side, or something just? It's a gear change, a hustle, a <laughs> side hustle. Yeah,、mm-hmm. I should probably apologise for the Bob the Builder thing. He follows me everywhere.、Um, <laughs> my, my first work, I, I'm trained as an illustrator first、mm-hmm. and foremost,、mm-hmm. and I left art college and got work on.、Uh, Do you guys get Wallace and Gromit? Yes,、here? I actually love it.、Yeah. I enjoy watching that yeah, so, even now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Wallace and Gromit was my first break, and then. I worked on a Tim Burton movie,、Islamic、and then my first job design designing a show happened to be this thing called Bob the Builder, and nobody could predict that it was going to be as big as it was. But for me, it was a blank canvas. Located beside the Khalid Lagoon on the Corniche, the mosque is designed in classic Ottoman style. A, a bucket of a hand grenade. If Bob needs it, I draw it. We build it. We animate it. Uh, and I did that job for about ten years.、Mm. But、um, one of the things that did teach me working on,、uh, I very quickly realised I had a desire to make my own show rather than designing something for somebody else. I wanted to be telling my own stories, so I then moved into children's publishing,、uh, writing and illustrating my own picture books.、Uh, eventually, seeing some of those get adapted into TV shows as well.、Um, before ultimately realising the audience I really wanted to write for. Was kind of young adults and middle graders. It was fantasy and horror, which、uh, was my my real first idea. I love how there was like a whole journey from animation, illustration, then saying, actually, I found my passion. Yeah, well, I think the the the, the thing that I came back to time and again, and when I went to school many years ago,、um, there was no. If you wanted to become a, a writer or an author or a work in television, there didn't seem to be a career path for it.、Mm-hmm. Um, I had to find my own way.、Um, I always I always knew I loved stories because I loved reading. The two things, two things, reading and reading writing, and writing went hand in hand at a very age.、Um, And then I kind of found my own path and realised the thing that I loved most of all, my imagination, using it, utilising it, not letting my brain go stale. I could actually turn that into、uh, something monetary. I could make a living out of telling stories. I'm a professional、uh, liar, basically. It's probably <laughs> the best way to describe.、It. I love that professional liar. But when it came to that. Like those changes, those jumps from one thing to another. Even though they still fall within the creative field, but they're still a little bit different. Did you need to like kind of tell yourself that it's okay to jump from one thing to another, or was just like a very straightforward thing? Like, okay, I'm just gonna do that. No, it was anything but straightforward. If anything,、uh, the success I'd had as the designer of Bob the Builder、mm-hmm. probably counted against me. Because publishers took one look at me when I was trying to get my novels published and said, "Yeah, but you're the guy who does Bob the Builder. This、mm-hmm. isn't Bob the Builder,、mm-hmm. or you're the guy who does picture books, but this isn't a picture book. You're trying to write a novel here." Yeah. And I remember my first meeting with my editor at, at Penguin, who subsequently went on to commission the Weirworld novels. She said,、um, "It's great that you've done those things like Bob the Builder and the picture books." She says, "But you're this is a whole new career writing a novel. The, yeah, the two things do not relate." I said, "I know what you're saying. However, 
what I learnt from working my way up the ladder in television production, from work experience to paid work to making my own shows. That dedication, the perseverance, the desire to achieve and, 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 and make it. Mm -hmm. I learnt from that, that, that dogged determination. I can carry that through to anything. And mm. you may not think it is relevant, but it's completely relevant because I will be a novelist and she said that's exactly the right answer um, and not long after that she commissioned the book when she actually saw the manuscript so that was great. And tell us more about writing for middle schoolers because YA, young adults, uh, is a very, despite the fact that it's considered for quote-unquote kids but at the same time there is YA for a younger audience and there is YA for an older audience and people forget that there's you need to differentiate between them when you're writing for them because the group you just mentioned, middle schoolers, will probably not be interested in children's book anymore. No. But they might be a little bit too young, just a little bit too young for some, um, maybe some topics, or maybe they're not interested yet in some topics. So how did you navigate through that? I wrote what I thought, I wrote my own story, um, and I kind of went with my gut when I was writing it. Mm. Um, and I knew what made a good story, and ultimately it was a fantasy story I was writing. Fantasy has always been that, that real, of all the genres, it was the one I always leaned in hard on, followed mm -hmm. very quickly by horror. And this, this encompasses both those things, the, the Werewolf series. Um, but it, it wasn't, um, the, the, the path into, into trying to uh, pursue that, yeah, it, it had its challenges, I think, uh, of, of trying to get my, my, my story across and, and, and kind of convince the audience that they should be reading these books. But middle graders, yeah, they're kind of graduating on from picture books into into a, a big unknown. And sometimes there is a bit of a gap there as what books are for them. Mm -hmm. So you have to include things like uh, peril, uh, yeah. genuine sort of fear in there. Mm -hmm. and fear of horror, there are scary moments appearing in most of my books because I, I genuinely believe that middle grade is the best way to introduce them to the the notion of fear mm -hmm. is in a good book. You can't you can't protect children from fear. It's an emotion. Mm -hmm. It's an internal thing. Mm -hmm. And parents want to bubble wrap their bubble wrap their children and, and, and protect them from scary things. And True. you think, well, you can't tell them not to feel fear. It's it's an emotion. Mm -hmm. The best way you to, the worst way to experience fear is being chased down the street by a gang of bullies. Mm -hmm. The best way to experience fear is through the safety of a good book. If it's scary, you shut the book. If it's if it's really scary, throw it in the chest freezer in the garage. A book can't hurt you, and, and most importantly, you can discuss the emotions you're feeling with, with classmates, with family members, with teachers, and siblings as well. So yeah, I'm a huge advocate for including a few frights in my stories as well. I love what you just said. It's just so interesting, and the way you actually um, tackle on the genre of horror, because again, horror is usually considered an adult kind of genre. Actually, a lot of adults are too scared for horror, which, you know, rightfully so as well. So I love the way that you introduce them through those fears and whatnot, getting them accustomed to those uh, emotions and feelings through your books. I, I loved scary stories when I was a kid. I used mm -hmm. to sit there and watch the old um, black and white creature features from Universal Studios mm -hmm. with like Bella Lugosi and Lon Chaney and, you know, The Wolfman and Dracula. Mm -hmm. I used to sit there and watch those with my dad. And they would terrify me but exhilarate me at the same time mm -hmm. uh, and that kind of that that buzz is what i want to kind of replicate in some of my stories as well for the children um, i want them to be scared but at the same time i want them to be excited uh, and not realize at the end of the day it is just a story but i, I kind of lean in quite hard I, I wrote a series of books called max helsing monster hunter mm -hmm. which was max was basically a 12 year old kid who lives mm -hmm. in new england in america and he solves monster mysteries but mm -hmm. the sources of many of the 
the, the monsters he faced, I dipped into different kind of uh, mythologies from around the world, from different mm -hmm. cultures. For example, there are, are ghouls in the story. And I showed the kids at this school today over in Dubai, I, sh I showed them uh, an a drawing of a ghoul that I'd done. And they said it was a zombie. I said, no, this is a ghoul. And they said, <laughs> one kid said, it's the same thing. I said, uh -uh, it's not. They're, mm -hmm. they're very different creatures. The ghoul and the zombie. The ghoul is a Persian myth. It comes from mm -hmm. Arabic folklore. Mm -hmm. Okay, And the difference is this, a zombie, would rise from the grave, uh, disco dance a little bit, and then feed on the flesh of the living. <laughs> the ghoul is a living creature, and it haunts mm -hmm. graveyards, crypts, and tombs, and it feeds on the flesh and the remains of the dead. They're the polar opposite of one another. And you can see the kids thinking, wow. And I said, that's your myth. That belongs, that comes from here, it stems yeah. from here. Mm -hmm. So you, you, I think mythology and folklore is a great source of inspiration for storytellers around the world, and it, it will continue to be so as well. But why did you choose werewolves? Oh, well, werewolves, for, well, I've always, I mean, as you can see, I'm kind of liberally covered in hair anyway, but um, yeah, it stops on the sole of my feet. Uh, but my my love of werewolves comes from my love of kind of the old traditional horror stories. Mm -hmm. they, werewolves used to fascinate and scare me more than any other monster. Mm. It was the fact that they appeared human and then the transformation takes place. And mm -hmm. it, in film, in movies, it was usually quite terrifying that, and, and An American Werewolf in London is one of my favourite movies, mm -hmm. and it's films like The Howling as well. So. I used to live on top of the North Yorkshire Moors in England, mm -hmm. uh, Bronte country, for want of a better word. Mm -hmm. um, and I was walking my dog one day on top of the moors, and a, a low cloud descended, kind of like the fog that you would get here in, mm -hmm. in, 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 in Dubai and, and the Emirates. Um, and I was shrouded, I was lost on top of the moors, and I cast my mind back. I, I already had a, a fantasy story in my head that I was writing. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it was going to be my first book. And I suddenly realised that It reminded me of the beginning of an American werewolf in London, mm. which starts on top of the moors with a pair of American backpackers being attacked oh, by wow. a werewolf. Mm -hmm. It's a really brilliant scene. It sets up the movie wonderfully. And all of a sudden, my fantasy story had a werewolf charging headlong into it, and that was where that fusion of fantasy and horror came from. It's walking my dog on top of the moors in England. Um, and I kind of ran with it. It's only one werewolf. It's a world where... In Weirworld, it's a world where the royals, the nobles, the blue bloods who rule over the humans are known mm -hmm. as the werelords. They're different shapeshifters. They can change into different beasts. The king of the realm is Leopold. He rules it with an iron fist or an iron paw. He's a weir lion. There is Duke Bergen, the bear lord, lord of the woodland realm. Okay, you have Lady Gretchen, destined to marry the king's son. She's a, a weir fox. But Drew is the only werewolf. He's the last in line of, of, of the, the grey wolves of Westland. He's the rightful king of the realm. So it's very much his stories. He's chased out of the frying pan into the fire. It, I think it was described by Penguin, my publishers, um, when it was first launched at San Diego Comic-Con. It was described as Game of Thrones for middle graders featuring werewolves. And that tagline is kind of stuck. While you're t talking about the characters, I can see like the glisten in your eyes. You, it shows that it's a very personal kind of project. It, yeah, I, I felt a lot of love for it, and it kind of it, it, the love for Werewolf kind of follows me everywhere I go. And I, I, the last book was written probably about was published about six or seven years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but recently, um, we've actually been kind of working on developing it into a TV show. Mm. Um, I can't say any more than that, but mm -hmm. it it will be on secret. It, yeah, it, it's, it's a, a worst kept secret, but yeah, we're kind of we're moving into production, but it will be on TV soon and it will look amazing. That sounds incredibly exciting. And you've already told us about what inspired you when you were younger from movies, but what about your favorite book growing up? Favorite book when I was Or growing up? Or books. Or books. It, I was always a Tolkien fan. Um, yeah, I never really wandered too far from that. I Valid. Mean, 
the, I remember from my very early age. I mean, libraries are so important to me, and they should be to people here, and I know mm-hmm, they are. Mm-hmm. The House of Wisdom, for example, yeah. incredible film. But I, when I was a child, I, one of my earliest memories, age three or four, was going to my local library with my mother. Mm-hmm. And whilst my mum was off in the romance section, digging out the latest, I don't know, bodice ripper, I was in the picture books, rooting around. And I found one book that to this day has stayed with me as one of my favourites of all time, and that was uh, Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice mm-hmm. Sandak. Yeah. Um, by the time I was eight, nine years old, I was back in the same library, picking the first novel of my own volition, and that was The Hobbit. Um, and then by the time I got to high school, my friends and I would get together once or twice a week to play Dungeons & Dragons, a role playing game. What? Which some of your younger viewers may recognise from Stranger Things um, as well. Uh, but yeah, that we'd get together once or twice a week to play this, and my friends couldn't be bothered learning the rules. Therefore, it was left to me to learn the rules. Therefore, well, somebody has to be the exactly, dungeon master. Uh, somebody. I'm speaking to that. You know exactly what I'm talking <laughs> about. So, but that's where I learned to tell a tale, spin mm-hmm. a yarn, by playing these games and hobbies with my friends. And mm-hmm. that word's really important, hobby. Um, I don't actually have qualifications to be a novelist or do anything that I do as a career. It's, it's all born out of the hobbies and passions I had when I was a child. And that's my message to, to your listeners, to, to pass on to their children. Keep their hobbies, keep their passion, their interests going as far and as long as they can do. Because uh, even the most uh, academic child needs, needs, needs something creative in their souls as well. And mm-hmm. that's where reading for pleasure, art, music is so important. At the very least, they'll have a worthwhile pastime for the rest of their lives, and at the most, they could make a living doing the thing that they love, and not everybody gets to do that, as you well know. That is absolutely true, and I love everything you just said. It's just it's also something that I've heard from other authors that I've spoken to in the past couple of sure. days, that it's always about your hobby. Sometimes even Helen Doherty, who I spoke to on the first day, she said that it, her love for writing came from something she used to do when she was younger. So just she had it inside of her yeah. and she just tapped into it when she was an adult. And just keeping that flame, it's called the flame of passion, just ongoing and just burning. Was it the same thing for her that she, when she was younger, that she didn't um, necessarily think there was a career as a writer waiting for her? Was there another career path she originally chose? Somewhat, because she did actually uh, go into languages. She studied languages oh, for wow. most of her life. She's, I believe also, that's what she was her career until she yeah. got married. It was her husband who told her, you use should go with it. Use yeah, that skill absolutely. Use that passion that was inside you, the little Helen inside of you. Yeah. Get her out and start writing again. And like you said, it's all about keeping those hobbies, those passions Keep alive. Keep the flame alive, yeah. Keep the flame alive. It's been so much fun talking to you. Thank you, Aisha. It's been Fortunately, we're running out of time. time. Always the way. Always the way. So we're going to be taking a quick break and coming up next, we're going to be talking about the panels and workshops. But once again, thank you so much for joining us, Curtis. Hope to see you roaming around the halls right here at the Expo Center Charger. Thank you. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 4 p.m.